Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. Our shout out this week goes to the hugely talented Nikki Nelson, a Wrexham-based photographer who specialises in telling the story of your business through quality and creative photographs. Nikki provides headshots, product photography and location shoots to capture the essence of your business products and services. We're particularly fond of Nikki here at the business community as she's the lady we use for our website headshots. If you need images for use on your website, your blog or on social media, Nikki Nelson Photography can help. Nikki can be found via the Facebook page, Nikki Nelson Photography. Welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And we're talking big bucks in our topical discussion this week. You probably will have seen in the news this constant shifting um, where Apple, Microsoft and Amazon are vying for for position as the the biggest global brand, uh, biggest global organisation. So we thought we'd take a little look at that this week. And Tracy, being the stat queen that she is, (laughs) is all over this like a rash. But just to give you a little bit of background, I thought I would just... Take a look at how long these three players have been established, because I think that's a really Good interesting point, angle. Yeah. So Microsoft started on the were established on the 4th of April 1975. Apple, the 1st of April 1976 and Amazon, the 5th of July 1994. So that's a long time after Um, the first two and yet they all sit in a very similar ballpark in terms of their value now Tracy I know that you are the person to talk about how the valuation is arrived at because it's so out of my I'm so (laughs) out of my depth on that okay so the headlines that have been banding around over the last couple of weeks are based on um, market values and market capitalization which is essentially the share price multiplied by the number of shares. So it, it's really a, a valuation by investors as to what they think they would be prepared to pay for a small piece of that company. And then when you add that all up together, that, that gives you the market valuation. So I think essentially it's a sign that investors, i.e. shareholders, whoever they may be, whether they're individuals or large organisations, pension funds, have got confidence in these companies. And like you say, Microsoft briefly overtook Apple, Amazon overtook Apple, and then they've sort of been vying with them. Google's up there as well. But what surprised me was that Microsoft sort of been a bit lacklustre over the years, and it's had this boost in confidence for the shareholders and potential shareholders when they got a new CEO in 2014. And that has... I think what what investors have seen is a refocus of their strategy and they've changed what they're focusing on, what they're delivering and, and the services that they're offering. And, and that's really is what, what's enabled the share price to go up. Interestingly enough, internally at Microsoft, there are pains to point out, and that was the chief marketing officer, uh, has, has been at pains to point out that they're not really focusing that much on the the share price but 
every publicly listed company has got to pay some attention to the share price. It, it's where if the share price dips too low, that's where you, you get the likes of Warren Buffett coming in and doing that value investing. So you want to make sure that your share price is is valuing your company fairly so that maybe your share price isn't lower than the actual bricks and mortar value of your company, if you know what I mean. So it is good news. However, it's not representative of profit or turnover. It's purely based on share price, which is based on investor confidence. Okay, all right. I think I've got that. Um, And it seems that one of the big factors with the Apple Microsoft thing is the use of or the reduction in use of the iPhone. You know, this single product... As people move more towards Android, you know that just that one product seems to be the thing that tips the balance one way or the other, and it seems it seems bizarre, I guess, that such a large organisation should have so much heavily weighted on one. One, one particular product, product yes. yeah. And I think the um, the good fortune for Microsoft is has been based on its attention to. Um, what they call enterprise computing. So have you heard of Azure cloud computing? Yeah. All the big companies are going for it now. It's a platform for um, providing services to companies and they get tied into the licenses and the services and everything's all in here. And and that is really seen um, a big growth at Microsoft offering these enterprise computing services. And it's also, what I didn't know doing the research was that gaming and hardware for Microsoft have also been big winners for them as well, which I, I didn't really think of Microsoft in terms of gaming. Um, and also you tend to think that hardware isn't as profitable, isn't as um, as good for your business as software. It's since, you know, I, IBM started to go down the pan and all of the software companies um, doing really well out of it. So it's really interesting journey that Microsoft have had. But you can't underestimate Amazon either. So after the headlines that we saw talking about Microsoft coming back, then Apple brief, uh, sorry, Amazon briefly um, surpassed Apple at, um, earlier this week. So I, th- I think we've mentioned this before in a few of the shows, this, this market dominance, the size of these enormous companies, and, and they're obviously going to be trying to... Um, compete with each other at the top echelons of business. I think the other thing that I found interesting is the actual share price for these organisations. So I I took a look at the 52-week low and the 52-week high for each. And Apple, for example, their 52-week low was 150.24 and their 52-week high was 233.47. But then when you get to Amazon... Their 52-week low was 11.24.74. You know, this is these are much more expensive shares. Yeah. Um, and the and the high at 20.50.50. So that for me, as I say, numbers aren't my thing, but there's a huge difference, and yet they're valued uh, in because a very similar ballpark. number of shares yeah, available. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then I thought I'd just have a quick look at the average salary of staff within the different organizations so apple the average salary and i mean there are lots of stats quoted is one hundred twenty-one thousand dollars. microsoft ninety-one and a half thousand dollars, and amazon twenty-eight and a half thousand dollars. so again looking at you know who is generating that that wealth 
uh, I think I think it's a really interesting picture. So I read a, an interesting article in um, theverge.com and they're talking about the it was initially based about around the Microsoft overtaking Apple but they they were basically saying they expect this sort of trade this jostling for position to carry on over the next few years between Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, all of those big players. And I th- I think it's going to be a little while until we see if one or or two of them come out um, on top, but as we see with Microsoft, you know that they their star seemed to wane in 2010, and now they've they've had this refocus and this rebirth almost, and I think that just goes to show that can happen to companies, a change of lead or a, a change of direction, and anything can happen really. Now some events and news from the world of business. I'm going to start off with a mention of the 360 networking meeting, which is organised by our friends at Business Line in Wrexham. The next meeting is Tuesday the 11th of December, 5pm to 6.45pm, and it's at the Atrium Suite of Redwither Tower on Wrexham Industrial Estate. Starts at 5pm and there are introductions with teas and coffees available, There's a presentation at 5.20 until about 6 o'clock when there's informal networking for 45 minutes. If you're interested in attending the events, it's free for your first-time attendance, £5 if you pay per meeting and £48 if you want to join and attend every meeting. That's £48 for the year. Then this next one caught my eye is something that I'd be really interested in attending myself if I hadn't got other plans for that day. It's the Emerging Tech Fest and it's on Thursday the 13th of December, 9am to 6pm at the Catherine Finch Centre here at Glindo University in Wrexham. It's a full day of talks, interactive sessions, discussions, hands-on demos and evidence-based insights into how emerging technologies are impacting on you, your business your industry and your supply chain so you can find out how emerging tech is going to continue to impact on you and your business in the free uh, in the future sorry and the event is free but places are limited so you do need to register to reserve your place the event is on eventbrite but we will put the link on our blog on our website which is the business.community the event is 9am to 6pm as i say however the key speakers case studies and meet the experts sessions start at 10 and end at 4 with exhibition and networking on either side and finally from me before i hand over to heather a reminder of self assessment deadlines courtesy of the website simplybusiness.co.uk so if you owe less than £3,000 and you want HMRC to collect it through your tax code then you must file your tax return online by the 30th of December if you intend to file your tax return online then you must do so in any event, by the 31st of January. Remember that you do need a government gateway login and a password to be able to do this, and this can take, it says on the website, 10 days, but I would allow a little bit longer than that if I were you. And so make sure you've applied for your login and password well in advance of the 31st of January deadline. Also remember that you'll need to make your first payment on account on the 31st of January. And this is usually equal to 50% of your tax liability for the tax year just gone and will go towards next year's tax bill. Heather, over to you. 
I've got a few events. This time of year, events do seem to, to dry up a little bit. I can't imagine why. Um, jingle bells, <laughs> jingle bells. <laughs> so I, I've, I've, um, I've got one for December and then I'm looking further ahead into January. Uh, this one is on the 12th of December. It's up in Liverpool um, at the University of Liverpool. It's an, just an evening event. It's free from half five till seven, Wednesday the 12th, as I say. And we've we've avoided the Brexit thing here quite a lot. But this is um, what I think looks like an interesting um evening it's it's a talk about brexit what what next uh and what indeed and it, yeah it's <laughs> indeed yes it's a public lecture and if you don't if you didn't already know it european union leaders are due to hold an eu council meeting on december 13th and 14th at which it is hoped the uk and the eu will settle on a final withdrawal agreement uh, sir ivan rogers um is going to who is who was the UK's permanent representative to the European Union from November 2013 to January 2017 uh, will be talking uh, about what what comes next so i thought that um if you've steered clear up until now um it might be something that's worth checking out and then assuming that uh, we all weather the christmas season uh well 3rd of january time to start thinking about what you're going to do uh, there is a free uh, group coaching session uh, organised by Action Coach. Uh, it's taking place at Wrexham Enterprise Hub. It's 9.30 to 12 and it's, um, it's free, as I say. And it could just be a good way to kickstart your business. If you have been trading for more two years or more and you've got more, more than two members of full-time staff... This is, you are the target audience. So that looked like an interesting one. And then finally, further ahead, January the 25th, um, this is a conference. It's a paid event. Tickets from, uh, tickets are £50, or you can buy a table of 10, um, and, and I think there's some discount. This is an all day event. It's the Labour Northwest Business Conference with Keir Starmer. Uh, so it takes place at Manchester United Football Club and as, as, it's, as you might expect, um, Keir Starmer is going to be taking questions. Um, there are other uh, various MPs, uh, Shadow Minister for Trade, and the two Northwest Metro mayors, Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham. Uh, details, as Tracy says, of these will be on our website, thebusiness.community. Tracy and I trawl our bookcases for books that you might be interested in. And this week, Tracy has recommended, suggested that we look at a book by Eric Rees called The Lean Startup. If you're in business, you probably will have heard the term lean startup um, in recent years. And so this book goes into it in quite considerable depth. Uh, the Lean Startup is a new approach to business that's being adopted around the world. It is changing the way companies are built and new products are launched. Now, I haven't read the book. I am holding Tracy's copy of it here in my hands. And to be perfectly honest, the way that it's laid out, I don't know if I would want to read it because I'm one of those people who scrolls through a book and thinks, oh, okay. It, the book isn't drawing me in. There's a lot of words in it. There's a lot of words, yeah, not many pictures. But as is very often the case, we uh, I took a look at the four-minute books summary. 
Thank goodness for four minute books. I don't know how we I don't know how we would manage without without but what I haven't done is haven't read the summary and then decided to buy a copy. Okay, so it didn't lead you to think I must own that book. No, it didn't. It didn't. What I did find, and we'll talk a bit more about the book uh, in a moment, but what I did find was a really interesting animation which talked about the lean startup process that, as a very visual learner, was really helpful for me because it taught me through and gave me some context as to what it was all about. But essentially, uh, the idea is that you, you make a start, If you've got a product idea, if you've got a business idea, instead of sitting and contemplating your navel for years and years and years on end. And trying to perfect it. And trying to perfect it, yes. Um, Reese suggests that you make a start and then reflect and review and measure and, and check what's happening. And I think that that is the biggest message that I take from this book is that do something. You know, doing nothing is not going to move you forward. Do something. But you love this book, Tracy. What do. what do you like about it? Well, there's, there's the element of science involved in it as well. I like the fact that he um, he's very honest about the fact that he's started lots of businesses and most of his startups have failed. That is the truth of it. We read these stories about these self-made business people who've had wonderful successes But behind most of those successes are lots and lots of times where they failed with the business. And I like that honesty. He's not saying I had my first business idea. It was fantastic and it worked wonderfully well. And he talks about the fact how that's a sort of myth that people want us to believe, you know, when when they're telling these stories, you know, this mythologized, mythologized, is that the right word? It is. It's a word now. Yeah. that, that you can, as long as you've got passion and you work hard and you keep on going at it, that the business will succeed, which can make the ordinary business person feel like a complete failure when their business idea fails. And what I really like about it is, is that actually he normalizes that, the sense of failure, because the idea is not to get it right first time. The idea is to go through validation, to, to get a product and get people paying for it. Now, this is the thing that shocks a lot of people is you don't get it right first. You put it out to market and get them paying for the product. And he talks about an instance in the book where he was starting one of his tech businesses and they put out a product that really wasn't ready, but they were getting the early innovators using it and getting feedback from them and developing the product. He said at one point they were developing and putting out an update every day based on the feedback but he wasn't doing things just to please the customer this was the interesting bit he was saying they were actually using the customers they were experimenting on the customers and they were they were doing this thing he calls a well, he doesn't call, everybody calls it split testing, where they're trying out two different products or, or a number of different products uh, on a sample of people to find out which one they like the most and to tell the difference between the features that your customers value and the things that they don't want or don't need. Because if they don't want them or need them, they're not going to buy them. And it doesn't matter how brilliant your product is or your service is, if they don't want or need it, the business is going to fail. And then the other thing that I like is he talks about this idea of choosing the right figures to look at. So he says, never indulge in vanity metrics, which is like how many Facebook likes you've got. Is that earning you money? No, it's not. You you can um, 
you know, you can have a business and you can have a thousand Facebook friends, but nobody's buying your product. <laughs> so he, he, he says it's very much geared at look at the numbers that really mean something. And we've talked about this before when we were talking about KPIs on the show, haven't we? You find the things that actually drive your business forward, not just the things that make you feel nice. And he um, it, it talks a lot about this um, minimum viable product which we were laughing on air before because it's great for certain businesses. But what was the example you used where it wouldn't work? Well, I, yes, I, I said that if you were in the business of amputating a leg, you know... Minimum you viable product, not minimum value, sorry. Yes, yeah. You, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't start with the toes and then just keep going until you ended up... <laughs> you get it right. ...the leg, yeah. So, yes. So one of the phrases he uses is uh, to pivot... And, and find out when the right time to pivot. And, and I think this is also echoed in the, the um, autobiography I read of uh, Chris Hadfield, um, astronaut mm. who went to the space station. And he, he says all this talk about don't sweat the small stuff. He said, ignore that. If you're going to space, you need to sweat the small stuff. Because it will be a small <laughs> thing that... Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you. it's the other end of the scale here. What Eric is talking about is... Just get started, have a go, test it, look at the right figures, pivot if you need to pivot, but get it earning you money and, and make those changes along the way. Don't try and perfect it before you launch the product. One of the, one of the key things, there's an example in the, um, four minute book, on the 4 Minute Books site and about the split testing. And he said, for example, if Domino's wanted to change Domino's Pizza wanted to change the design of their pizza boxes, once upon a time they'd have to create two different designs, ship pizzas to a thousand customers in each box, and then ask the customer for feedback. They don't need to do that now. They can just get two images, put it on social media, ask people to vote on which one they like best. Simple. Uh, re <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. And, and, you know, they'd get hundreds of thousands of people giving them their feedback, not just a thousand on each. So, so, so as things progress, you, you can streamline this, this way of working. It, it means different things for different businesses and in different time frames, I guess. Now, if, like me, you like a good video as well, and maybe like Heather, you don't fancy looking at all the word, words <laughs> in the book, then you can go and take a look. There's a number of YouTube videos, but one I found, which I, I watched, um, was, it was about 53, 55 minutes long, and it's where Eric Reese is talking at a Google conference in 2011, and he, he talks a lot about the concepts that are in the book, and uh, he brings them to life, and you, you can sit and have a listen and uh, one of the things that I picked out from that talk specifically was his description of what a startup is. And he um, defines it as a human institution designed to deliver a new product or service under conditions of extreme uncertainty. And he's at pains to point out that it's nothing to do with the size of the company or the sector you're in, the economy or the industry. So he goes on to say that entrepreneurship is a career and he's been trying to get large companies to accept it as a job title. I think that's quite a different view to what traditionally people think of as entrepreneurship. And he says that the startup is an experiment and has, as I mentioned earlier on, he says in, in this video that most of his startups have failed. And I know this, this other part that I picked up from the video is in the book. I've read this bit in the book. But he talks about the fact that we can make 
so many things. We've got efficiency. We've got the resources. We can make so many things. And the dominant question of our time is not can we build it, but should we be building it? And rather than asking, you know, I've got this brilliant idea, let's find out how to make it. Actually find out if your customers actually want it before you make it. That's that's what we used to call market research. Yeah. <laughs> in the olden days. And uh, just before we finish, uh, there's, a, there's a number of things that he t- talks about in here, but this one's for another day, Heather, but we'll just put it on our list of things to discuss. One of the things that is part of this whole lean startup um, it's a community, really, a community of people that really um, uh, practice the, the principles that Eric has um, brought to life is innovation accounting. So I think I'll persuade you oh, to come back to that right, at some point okay. in the future. So this book, Heather, tell us where we can find it. Well, if you go to our website, thebusiness.community, you will see a whole raft of books that we have reviewed over the over the months, over the last year, um, almost 50, 50 shows in the bag. Uh, and there will be a link direct from the book to Amazon. And if you click on that link, if you fancy buying the book and you click on that link, we get a few pennies that helps to go towards paying for our, hosting our website, keeping our SoundCloud up to date and helping us to keep the podcast going. So we'd be really grateful if you are thinking of buying any of the books that we featured that you follow our link through to Amazon. So this part of the show, we have a look at a business leader or business guru and I think this time we can probably say that this gentleman is a business leader but I'm going to say the word guru anyway because as you know we like the word guru and who wouldn't like to be called a guru okay so Howard Schultz guru or leader however you take him is an American businessman and he was the CEO of Starbucks over two periods, 1986 to 2000, and then again from 2008 to 2017. He left his, he retired as executive chairman from Starbucks earlier this year, so in June. He stepped down and speculation is that he's got ambitions to run for presidential office in America. So time will tell. But he took charge of Starbucks in the 80s and he turned around a regional coffee company into what is one of the world's top brands. According to Forbes at the beginning of this week, his real-time net worth was £3.4 billion. He expanded Starbucks from 11 stores to more than 28,000 worldwide and made it pretty much a social hub for many people, including the office for a lot of people who work for themselves as well. And um, he's now known for his socially conscious approach to business. He's been vocal politically and he's been got a bit of a history with philanthropy as well. So I started right at the beginning to see what his background was. So often we hear about um, people whose parents have perhaps helped them or they've gone to some big college or they've done this. Actually, Schultz grew up in Brooklyn in what is known as a housing project. It's not something we, we tend to have here in the UK, but he was the first in his family to go to college. And then the history of Starbucks begins what did you find out about him from his uh, early life, maybe, Heather? Yeah, well, I, I, Forbes magazine were talking about how he came to be involved with Starbucks. And 
they've they've written it as a, a bit of a, a story. Uh, an executive from Seattle visits Milan and is entranced by the coffee culture. He describes it as the symphony of flavour, the romance and showmanship that coffee could create. He sees the potential to, to develop a similar culture in America, returns to Seattle with an idea to create a third place between work and home. And of course... Like any good story, there's a hurdle. His partners don't share the dream. They just want to sell beans and coffee equipment. He was crushed. He leaves the company, opens a concept store that reflects his vision, and two years later buys the original company from his former partners and turns it into the Starbucks we know today. I'm surprised there hasn't been a film made about this. Or if there has, it's been very quiet. Well, maybe Forbes... (laughs) Maybe Forbes have, um, uh, uh, you know, are working on that. He, I, I think he's he's an interesting character. I'm fascinated by anybody who holds a job within an organisation, then stays within the organisation but does something else, but then comes back to that original role. There's a couple of things I saw him being interviewed and um, he, you know, he genuinely seems like a nice guy. He doesn't seem... Um, he seems to be in touch with his people. So I thought, as you might expect, I'd have a look to see what his leadership style is. And he is what is known as a transformational leader. And he manages his people and encourages his people through intellectual stimulation. So getting people to, you know, to suggest ideas and to think creatively so that um, they get the best opportunity of finding good ideas. They have a clear vision and they share that with their teams, making sure that everybody understands what the vision is. And I think that, you know, that's something that a lot of businesses lack. He also takes quite radical um, decisions around training. So, for example, uh, he closed all um, Starbucks-owned outlets for half a day to train staff on how to make espresso properly. They had um, they had an unfortunate situation earlier in the year in Philadelphia where two um, black guys were with it were in a cafe and they weren't treated appropriately, so clo- dealt with the issue, closed all chain led stores, staff training on how to um, treat people uh, fairly and with equality. So you know he, he's quite bullish if something needs to be done. I understand that Starbucks was one of the first businesses to offer health insurance and share ownership to those who work both full-time and part-time. So so clearly his way of managing his people has had a big impact mm. on the way he's, he's led the business. He's written a few books as well, so I haven't read any of them. However, um, there's one from 2011 called Onward, How Starbucks Fought for Its Life Without Losing Its Soul, Closely followed by Pour Your Heart Into It in 2012, How Starbucks Built a Company One Cup at a Time. Then there's two strange things. I wasn't quite sure what these were. Upstand, as it's called. And there's two seasons of it. It's not available as a physical print, as far as I could see, um, but available as audio download or Kindle. And it's co-authored by Rajiv Chandra Sekharan, I think, and it's it's called Upstanders. Now, Upstanders are the opposite of bystanders, apparently. They're the problem solvers and protesters, students and parents, professionals and civic leaders. And in these two seasons of the um, Upstanders, they've 
focus on ordinary people and profile ordinary people who have done something, they've um, used passion, humanity, a willingness to act, um, from a, an NFL player to an activist who um, got involved in the community, uh, former prison inmate who's helped other ex-convicts to stay out of prison. I'm, I'm wondering if that's all part of his lead towards public office, maybe, they look really interesting. Uh, and he's got a new book that's due out in print on February the 12th, 2019, called From the Ground Up, A Journey to Reimagine the Promise of America. That definitely sounds like a bid for public office yes, to me. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, he's raising his game there, isn't he? So um, we always finish with a quote from our um, business leaders. What have you got, Heather? I've got, you can't expect your employees to exceed the expectations of your customers if you don't exceed your employees' expectation of management. And I've got, from day one, I wanted to build the kind of company my father never got a chance to work for, a company that honours and respects the dignity of work and the dignity of all men and all women. That's all we've got time for this week, but do join us next week for the business community. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.